Um, so I think all of that played into the fact that um, you know we really needed to be very methodical about this and and you know do take some steps and learn and take some steps and learn and grow from that and um, that's again what we're we're doing and we continue to do. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. So it went from like 90 some degrees yesterday to like rainy and 65 here today. Like, and I've been dealing with like uh, sinus headaches all day because of just the, the rapid change in weather. Woke up with like a migraine today and I've been fighting one for the better part of a day. Yeah, That's of the day. Fun. No, not at all. Sorry. Yeah, we, uh, it's been cold. We had uh, snow levels down around 65. 100 feet, rain, cold, highs in the low 50s. So we can complain that we all don't live in San Diego. Yeah. One when, day. I, when I was in Florida over the weekend, like I'll, I'll be honest with you, I'm I'm actually kind of welcoming this because when I was in Florida over the weekend, it was like 95 degrees. It was stifling hot and at most times there was no breeze. So you just stood there and sweat and like October is supposed to be starting to cool off. But, you know, it's not like August where it's like walking on the sun there. Yeah. How but did you that, were, the visit to Disney World go? It was amazing. We, That's we what had I was going to say. It's like, it, is it the greatest place on earth? Or is there like, how, what? because what, there's multiple locations. So um, the Disneyland in California is the happiest place on earth. I believe oh, okay. they call Disney World like the most magical place on earth. Okay. You were at the magical uh, place. But with yes. an infant. But with an infant. So the first time that way, right? And yes, it was the first time with a kid and he had an absolute blast. I mean, somehow we lucked out and we have the most relaxed kid and I hope he stays this way. (laughs) He just goes with the flow with us and he very rarely, you know, gets cranky about it. Um, He had an absolute blast. He enjoys fireworks. So he was, you know, he's sitting there watching a couple of the fireworks shows. Um, Whirlwind trip. It was, we, we left thursday evening and got back monday night and the weekend flew by but then i checked my email on tuesday and i felt i felt like i was after like a week or more (laughs) that is awesome i'm glad you're able to do that just wait until he's a teenager and then he won't be agreeable he won't want to do what you want to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) that time is coming (laughs) but as of right now he's just a happy chill kid that that just goes along with his crazy parents and um yeah we, we definitely wore him out like he was he was definitely out of sorts a bit on monday or i'm sorry tuesday when we got home like he was definitely out of sorts and you could tell he was a little overtired but other than that it was actually a lot of fun taking a kid down but again he wasn't like 18 months old and trying to run everywhere yeah it's great so but uh, as people can hear we have a, a different voice on the podcast with us this week. So Jason and I are joined by Carrie Burke, 
who is the director of customer analytics and insight at Harvard Business Review. Um, Carrie has been a partner of ours for three plus years now. And watching some of the stuff that she's done at HBR, Jason and I have been dying to, to get her on to, you know, for a chat. Um, so, but prior to her time at HBR, Carrie has spent um, various roles in analytics leadership at companies such as Clario Analytics and Staples, where Jason, correct me if I'm wrong, that's where you both first crossed paths. That's true. That was a, that was a while ago. That was. Yep. Um, but, but like I said, you know, for the last three years, Carrie's been a partner of ours um, at, at HBR. And one of the things we've seen is during a time she's taken a methodical approach to building out a, a digital uh, digital marketing ecosystem um, and, and one that follows a, a, a similar methodology that, that, that we preach, a crawl, walk, run methodology. And it's a methodology that typically runs counter to ones that most corporations or you know, most organizations take. Um, Carrie, some of our previous chats, like I said, you know, we've often run into a situation where we come in and do an assessment and we give a timeline like, this is something that's going to take two years to get where you want to. Doesn't mean it, you're not going to see anything for those two years. There's going to be features that we're going to unlock as the time goes on. Um, but ultimately, to get to the end point where you want to be, it's going to take time. And one of a couple different things happens, you know, either, you know, um, leadership balks at that and says, nope, get it all done within a few months. And if you take that path, we've often seen that it results in something that's error prone, something that doesn't work. Or, you know, people become paralyzed by that kind of timeline and don't do anything. So then two, three years pass and they're no further along than where they were previously because the thought of taking that kind of path just, it, it was intimidating. Um, but I'm kind of curious, I, I, I kind of want to start this conversation with just kind of picking your brain, like what led you to take the approach that you did? Like I said, a very methodical approach and slowly unlocking features and capabilities to the organization versus trying to boil the ocean and get it all done at, at one time. And how did you sell, sell your leadership on something like this? Yeah, um, Jim, I think um, actually before I get into answering those questions, it probably would help if I spent a couple minutes talking about how we even got to the position of being able to decide if we were going to crawl, walk, run or try to run in the mm -hmm. first place. Definitely. Um, so several years ago, we were in the third year of a five-year contract um, with a third-party vendor um, who was hosting our marketing database. And um, this database had been built using name and address. It was primarily um, built with the focus of supporting our very strong direct mail, which um, was our our key campaign strategy for driving subscriptions. Um, but it also, over the years, had been um, used to drive email, and we attempted to bring some web behavior in, but really were never able to get it to the point where we needed it to be with the business. So when we're in that third year, um, I really wanted to take a step back um, because I had heard the frustration of leadership. You know, we're spending a lot of money for this solution and we're really not getting out of it what we had hoped. Um, I personally and my team had been frustrated because we knew what the stakeholders wanted and needed and we were having a hard time getting it. 
Um, and so we decided to do an RFP to, um, to, to investigate different ways um, that we could, the way I kind of called it is to skinny down the database. What could we do to simplify our solution? And, and part of that, we actually partnered with Jason, um, who came in as an advisor to us to help us, I think, define this vision of this di digital ecosystem, which was really about, you know, get the database in place, but have it effectively connect to the website, to your targeting tools, to your ESP. And, and that really started the process. Um, and when we did that, we met with our stakeholders, um, number of meetings and number of stakeholders. And what we came away with is we needed a more flexible solution. We needed to be able to personalize our newsletters and emails. We wanted to set up trigger campaigns. Um, so it was the variety of those core things that we knew that we needed to do to move forward. And fortunately, um, through conversation and through research from our internal architectural team, we came away with a recommendation to um, purchase Adobe Campaign Standard. And the reason, one of the reasons that was a plus is that we already had Adobe Analytics and Adobe Target. Um, so that became our next step was to bring that in. And the idea behind that was to replace our customer database but it also is an ESP. So at the same time, we were replacing our customer database and our ESP. So to get to your question about how we could sell leadership, I guess first, how could we sell leadership on this solution? Um, well, one is it had the promise of addressing these, these needs of our stakeholders. Secondly, it represented a significant decrease in cost so that we were able to redeploy that cost in other areas. Um, so in terms of selling the solution, that I think was a, fairly easy, um, easy process because I think we did our diligence to, to have the background to help um, explain it, plus we were easing historical frustration. Um, but in terms of a crawl, walk, run approach, um, we are a very lean organization, as many are, um, and um, it would be very difficult for us to try to run um, quickly. And having bought expensive tools in the past, here at HBR and not being able to run with them because we were typically in a self-service mode, um, I knew that we really needed to take a more methodical approach. Um, so day one, we made sure that we were able to support the existing campaigns, those that um, were driving you know, key revenue for subscriptions, product purchase, getting our newsletters out the door. And then we built strategy to try to roll out those other pieces. And we're still doing that two years later. It's such a refreshing thing to hear. Um, and, and one of the reasons why I was so excited to, to have you come on the podcast and share some of your vision and, and stories, because I think a lot of organizations can benefit from the, the decisions that you've made, some of the things that you've learned along the way, because so many companies out there and, and you know, honestly, it's just human nature, because I think as individuals, we, we kind of fall into this trap, I'm sure. I have a closet full of things that I wanted to get into and I went all out and got like, you know, the top end stuff. And then, you know, I used it once or twice and it's just sitting there. Yeah. Um, but so, so many, so many companies take that approach where, you know, they, they buy the, the, the best thing that's out there and they just collect a whole bunch of things and they're like, okay, now we're going to do, you know, whatever we're going to try to do. And, and unfortunately it just ends up sitting on the shelf because there's no plan, there's no vision, they're overwhelmed. And so hearing that, you know, a, a, a respected company, um, respected organization like, like Harvard Business Review is under your leadership taking such a, um, 
I guess, measured approach to it, being deliberate in, in how you're, you're rolling out your, your stack and your vision is, is very refreshing to hear. Thanks, thanks. I, I do have to um, point out, though, it definitely is a uh, team. You know, there's a team doing this because, you know, my, my team focuses on the customer database and email operations, but we have another organization that's really focused on the web analytics and the site personalization. So all of those tools coming together, and of which obviously Jim works closely with us all, um, you know, it, it's really the coming together of, this, of that all and making sure we're, we're taking those steps. So what um, I'm interested in, uh, I guess some of your past experience or maybe experience at HBR, um, or, or maybe I'll put you on the spot and say, I want you to come up with an, an amazing analogy since you've been climbing mountains um, <laughs> about how climbing a mountain is really similar to building a, a world-class marketing stack. Um, but I, I would love to hear kind of what, what you feel like your, your past experience has been that has helped kind of inform some of the decision-making that, that you've been making as you've, again, you working with the team to deploy this, this vision at HBR? Yeah, um, I think some of it is just what happened here in the first couple of years I was here. And, um, you know, I, I think my role, I've been told my role was actually created um, sort of around the frustration that we weren't getting value out of the marketing database, the early marketing database. So coming in on day one and knowing that we had this thing that we'd built and we just weren't getting everything out of it. So living with that for two years certainly uh, put me in a position that I wanted to make sure that we did this incrementally. Um, secondly, related to that, I think it was we had several changes in web analytics. And web analytics is just so important to to our world. We are a content site primarily, and you know we need to understand what our readers are reading, what they like, what they're doing, and then bring that into our analytics and our and our marketing and our targeting. Um, so having you know moved from one provider to another provider, um, and with that comes you know understanding the whole tagging aspect. Again, I'll plug Jim for how wonderful he's been with helping us set up the data layer, but um, also the reporting aspect. You know, making sure that users understand how to use the reports, and um, so knowing that we'd already started investing in adoption of Adobe Analytics, and that the tool that we were going to put in place complemented that and actually spoke to it and that we could use the skills that we were developing in Adobe Analytics to um, um, create segments and, and develop reporting. That was huge, um, I think, related to that decision. In terms of prior to Harvard, um, I was with a software company, a relatively small so software company, and we sold um, marketing optimization, um, SaaS as a service, and I was on the client service side, but it was very interesting to me to see how we could go in and sell a product. You get the, get the client very excited about the product, um, and but then in terms of their adoption, it was very difficult. And to really get the full breadth of the value out of the solution that we were trying to sell, um, I was seeing it from the vendor side, so I, so I had that perspective as well. Um, so I think all of that played into the fact that um, you know we really needed to be very methodical about this, and and you know. Do take some steps and learn, and take some steps and learn, and grow from that. And um, that's again what we're we're doing, and we continue to do. That's awesome to hear. I think I think a big part of that is just um, I, I like 
that uh, methodical approach of taking some steps, learning, adjusting, and, and going. Um, it's it's okay to say that we don't have all the answers and we're gonna, going to learn along the way. Um, and I'm, I'm not sure where kind of business training or just business culture in general went off the rails, but so many people and organizations are afraid to admit that they don't have all the answers. And they go into, you know, these very, very complex situations. You know, building an ecosystem like this is extremely complicated. And the, you know, going into it with the thought that we we know exactly how this is going to work and we're not going to budge because we have all the answers, I think is is really dangerous. Um, and the fact that you're open to to learning, I think, is a phenomenal approach that more organizations should be open to taking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, also, don't you think it's also, I think we were talking about this the other day that, Oftentimes vendors come in and they sell a solution and they've, and today many of the, the marketing tools, the front end is just so user friendly that it makes it very appealing to marketers. And it's like, oh yeah, we can, we can just take a few steps and we can personalize and we can target, but it's really what's behind the scenes and the connection of the products in order to get that data in a place you can use it. Um, so you need to have, you know, the strong technology team to support that and, and that vision as well. So yeah, um, it's critical. It's an, it's an interesting thing to lay side by side because you're, you're right. As the, as the solutions have matured, this freaking fly. I see it. <laughs> right. I've been watching it for the last few minutes crawl across your hat. I just didn't want to interrupt either of you. Uh, so it's uh it's interesting to lay this side by side because you're you're right i mean these these technologies have become so polished over the years and the one that really has become open to marketers is in the optimization space to your point it's so easy to you know pick up an optimizely or a google optimize or an adobe target and and just start making changes to to the websites but optimization itself is probably one of the more complicated things in that it involves so many different areas of the business so much data so much is needed to go into that and so you know having strong leadership to be able to take a step back and talk about you know this is why again i'm going to use the word deliberate this is why we're doing things deliberately um this is why we're doing things with a with a purpose because you know, you can take the the wrapping off a, a tool and kind of play it out for a bit and it's exciting. You get some incremental value, but it's over the long term where these solutions really start to pay off. And that's that's hard. It doesn't you know, you can't keep that. Oh it's going to drive me crazy. You can't you can't keep that newness. You, you can't keep driven off of the newness. You know, you have to find uh, reasons to to kind of keep what's the right word? like struggling, I don't want to say struggling, but it's, it's hard, right? Like after, after the newness is worn off of a new solution, it's hard to kind of keep that, that momentum going. Right. But I, I think if you established the, the crawl, walk, run approach and you have leadership buy-in that with each incremental step, you're able to share something exciting. Um, and sometimes it's not a big, exciting things, but, but what we found, like we're introducing more trigger campaigns that are allowing us to talk to someone differently when they've done something on the site. I think that's exciting because it's something very tangible that people can see and we can show how, you know, how productivity from an email, a triggered email differs from a batch email or in personal personalizing things. And that's, we're still moving, you know, I'd say we're kind of crawling a little bit 
teetling and walking, but um, you know, we're starting to move that. That's exciting to be able to see how we can change content in that way. But so with the crawl, walk, run approach, you do get those exciting moments that it's important to share. Yeah. With, you know, to keep things, keep yeah, interest. For sure. One of the things that I would love to talk about, and I hope this fits in with um, your topic, Jim, um, but one of the, the items that, that comes up a lot and we're hearing talked about, especially as we see a consolidation in the space, it's, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that we're seeing a consolidation with a few big players, Adobe, Google, Salesforce. Um, and then you have a whole host of kind of additional products that are out there that you can tie in. And it seems like new solutions being put on the market every week. Uh, the, the conversations that I hear are, do we go all in on a cloud solution? Do we go all in on a cloud solution and then append other solutions that align with what we're trying to do? Or do we piecemeal together um, independent offerings from across the board to build our, our system? You've kind of gone with the second approach where you've gone pretty heavily in the Adobe Experience Cloud, but also have other solutions that best align with your goals and what you're trying to accomplish integrated into that ecosystem. I'm interested in kind of the thought process and pros and cons that you've seen of, of taking that approach and, and really investing heavily in, in one of the big cloud players. Right. Um, well, I think, I think one of the pluses or two of the pluses I've already talked about, but one is the fact that we know that the connections between those products um, are, they're built to be connected effectively. And if they're not, we know where to go. Like we go to Adobe and, and um, first go to Jim, um, but we go to Adobe and, um, you know, and they will, if it's, if it's not something that they can fix, they get it on their roadmap, roadmap and we have, you know, some things we're waiting for, but for the most part, you know, you have an audience. So I guess for me, that was one of the big pluses when we, um, came up with this solution. The other is, as I mentioned, it's leveraging skills that you're building in one tool to use them in another. And Adobe Analytics is so critical to our solution. It's nice that they all talk to each other. Um, you know, the other right now we're going through an implementation of Piano, which is a digital fulfillment platform. And so this is going to be an interesting, um, it's really the first product that we've layered on since we implemented Adobe campaign that I've been involved with. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how that all fits together. And, and thus far, it seems pretty good. Um, we haven't really started talking about Adobe data going back into Piano for targeting. I think we just had one conversation on that. But so that's kind of still out there. But um, so yeah, I think I I was heavily into the I was definitely weighing to the side of let's let's use all the different pieces that fit together that we know fit together. Probably the con from that is that you are you're reliant on the roadmap that Adobe has versus being able to go out and find see what other groups and and I don't know if like other single platforms could invest more heavily in development of that specific platform. Um, but to date, we haven't seen that. But again, we've only been there with them a couple of years with this full solution. Awesome. Um, so I have so many different ways I can take this, Jim. I also don't, don't want to dominate the conversation. So if you have if you have questions, by all means, jump in. Otherwise, I'm going to keep asking questions and I'm going to keep batting this 
fly out of my view. So try not to react to like my, and this is like the second or third episode that the fly has, has made an appearance. <laughs> so people are going to think like either this is one like super fly or Jason lives in some kind of barnyard that just has flies all over the place. <laughs> and it's funny after the one episode where the fly kept getting you throughout the episode i was talking to bryant and bryant was saying how he was actually over and the fly was attacking you then as well yeah like this this fly's got a vendetta against you i'm leaning toward the super fly that just won't leave you alone it's it's absolutely amazing and it's this one fly it's not like there's like 50 flies in this office it's one fly and i think it's the same fly but does he only does he only surface during podcasts well, he only services when other people are around. Like okay. if I'm just in here hanging by myself, he's nowhere to be seen. But if I'm on camera, if I have a guest over, he that fly is coming out. He's so. social. Very social. Maybe <laughs> he just wants to be part of it. He's like, right. you know, he's trying to develop a personal brand. He sees this as an opportunity to get some visibility. He's like, oh, the podcast is filming. I'm going to. So he I'm has. He, he, he's made a presence. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I've just found our cold open for the week. <laughs> And I got to add this to the Jason versus the Fly uh, super mix. And and if we had if we had a designer on staff, I'm sure there would be a design logo or something in the works with the fly buzzing around my my head. So, um, okay. So look to get us back uh, on on topic here. Um, maybe slightly related to to that, but slightly off. I don't think I've ever asked you this, but I'm I'm interested in how much the influence of higher education has on on hbr i mean you're you're part of harvard but you're a separate business unit you are a business you have kind of a business focus but you tend to take a very again i guess i'll say measured deliberate approach to things i'm wondering how much of that is the people that have been attracted to to work at hbr how much of that is the influence of being part of of higher education which may take a again a more a measured approach to to how they move forward and things and i'm staying i'm staying away from saying a slow methodical approach but mm-hmm. you know a little bit you know let's make sure we really think it out where you have other businesses where it's like i don't know we'll just make decisions on the fly and figure out how to deal with it later yeah that's a great question um you know when i think about the environment we're in and i've been here five years now um i think you know we we're doing very well we're many smart people here and and um great interest in in the product we're delivering um but i feel we're somewhat of a patient environment as it relates to a an environment like a staples which is highly promotional and you know, you just need to get those offers out there to drive revenue, and which is where I came from. So for me, I, I do see that I can describe this environment as a little more patient and so um, a little more receptive to doing the, the crawl, walk, run strategy. Um, you know, the influence of higher ed, it, it probably has some influence but you know we have goals we we definitely have goals that we need to achieve for the business school so um i don't feel like we can take a step back there but i you know i think it's it's the balance it's the balance of those goals and it probably is the type of people that have been attracted we have a lot of people who stayed here a long time and i think it's leadership I think mm-hmm. our, we have some awesome leadership and they've been in place for a number of years. And so I think they've developed this culture um, that is is a, an attractive culture to work in. 
Yeah. So I'm, I'm interested in how much of the decision making and what you're building out um, as, as part of the, um, I don't know what or whatever we're calling it, marketing ecosystem. Um, how, how much of that is influencing other areas um, and how much of that are, are the decisions you're making have those other areas in mind. So there, there are other organizations within Harvard Business Publishing where HBR sits. Um, and you, you probably also have relationships with, you know, College of Business or other pieces within the university. How much of what you're doing is helping forming what, what they're doing and, and how much of what you're doing from a decision making process has some of those other pieces that you connect with um, in mind? Right. So I can speak to internally. Um, so we have, yes, we have the three divisions, higher ed, corporate learning, and HBR. And last year, um, we established an analytic leadership community, which um, this is the first time we've had this. And, um, you know, it took us a while to get up and running, but now I think we have a good cadence where we come together every two weeks or so, and we're talking about, um, kind of the strategy of each of the business units, what are the tools we're using, um, how can we have more synergy with tools, and we've definitely had some some benefits in, in that decision area. Um, and then how can we share best practices across the organizations? And that, that's actually part of our corporate goals this year. It's not just analytics, but across the organization, how can we share different competencies that the different business units have? Um, so, um, me specifically, I have some meetings set up to start sharing more on what we're doing in our triggered email program. I know a colleague of mine has done quite a bit more in terms of um, sites, personalization and testing and working in the other business units. I mean, Jim, I almost think you probably have some good perspective on that, having worked in higher ed and a bit in corporate learning. Yeah, a little bit. No, I was going to say, and I also have, because I say this on every, every episode, Carrie just mentioned something where I'm like, you know what, this is going to be a great future podcast yep. episode. <laughs> so I, I have to mention that on every episode now. Um, but, but you know, the, the idea of having, having kind of a, a unified leadership group or, you know, different different organizations call it different things, center of excellence, what have you. Um, it's something that's been talked about for many, many years, but I don't know of a lot of companies that have really um, put it into practice at, at great depth. And I think, I think it's going to become more and more of an important discussion to have, whether it's, you know, companies that we work with like Carnival Cruise Lines um, that have lots of brands that we work with that operate as independent separate companies. Um, or just larger companies that have different divisions in it that, that have their own kind of vision and plan and kind of do their own things from a marketing analytics uh, perspective. Uh, how do you kind of either manage that or have influence at a, a higher level? I think it's something that's really, really difficult to solve for. But as companies begin to solve for that, I think it's going to be a massive competitive advantage. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think like when when the organization, this this community first started, it was like, okay, what are we doing here? Are we headed towards a centralized analytics team across the organization? And so I, I think at first it was like, we weren't really sure about that. Um, but as it progressed and we realized that um, the current structure right now is going to stay as it is and that we have so much to learn from each other um, in different ways and um, and then just benefits from coordinating better on our tools. We had quite a few tools across the organization, which I don't think is un, un, uh, or 
uncommon. Um, so there definitely has been a lot of benefit there. And then taking it down a level, we actually have on the off week of the leadership meeting, there is a user community meeting. So we're having people get together and share. A lot of it thus far has been on focused on tools like Altrix and Tableau. Um, but certainly can see opportunity in the future um, with um, Adobe Analytics for sure. Um, and is that is that all in all internal to HBR? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yep. How how are you getting people interested in? in I'm sorry, internal to HBP. HBP. Not, yeah, the whole organization. Yeah. Got it. Um, how are how are you getting people interested in participating in those? I, you know, from past experience, we've we've seen those kind of take off with the initial bang and people really interested, and then it dwindles off. Um, what what has been your experience in keeping people interested in yeah. in participating? Yeah, I think um, I think there are a couple of things. So one is we do have an external consultant who um, has been with us to help us with our. We purchased Alltrex server, and his company is our experts with Alltrex and then Tableau. So he's been helping um, us adopt that. So that's kind of the key driver. He manages those meetings with a internal partner every every two weeks. So as teams, as individuals on teams across the three business units are trying to beef up their use of Altrex, which is a very, you know, it's a very universal tool, um, they're excited, I think, to come because he's talking, he's talking about specific um, techniques. It's like an open user group and, um, and similarly with Tableau. And then it also provides an opportunity for people who have developed a report or analysis to share. So it, it kind of has that combined. I think some people come purely for learning. Other people come because it's an opportunity for them to share all the cool stuff they're doing. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It's, yeah. it's been in existence for about four months. Um, but thus far, it seems to be having good, um, good traction. Do you, do you provide food? Um, they do. They do. <laughs> we know that here that yes, provide having lunch meetings and providing lunch and food is always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, what what about externally? Um, how much of what you're doing has been influenced by external, and how much do you participate in that? So you know, you're in in Boston, which is is very heavy with a lot of. Um, really well-known brands, also a, a pretty good tech scene. Also, I know you, you do a little bit um, with publishing. Um, how much of what you're doing is being influenced or from what you're learning by, you know, either local meetups or things that you're following from public, the publishing industry? Yeah, me personally, um, I am not as active out there in the biz in the Boston community as I probably should be. You know, I have a long commute, so I tend to be eager to get home at the end of the day. I do think there are a number of people in the company who um, who do partake in those. Um, I tend to um, attend you know conferences when I can um, with and they. Aside from the Adobe Summit, I really I do enjoy the publisher conferences to hear more about you know, what our, what our peers are doing. Um, and I specifically am interested in the areas of, of, you know, the advanced targeting and modeling and how can we bring that into our solution. And so it's typically the, the companies like Wall Street Journal and the um, New York Times um, that, are, that are advanced in that area. But, and I think across our organization, it, they're very open for us participating in in all of all of the above that you mentioned so that we can get out there yeah 
How, how much can you talk about things that um, you're kind of seeing on the horizon of publishing? Because publishing in itself, and we had um, we had Todd from the the Monitor on talking about publishing analytics, and it's uh, it's a really interesting time in the publishing space where. Um, I think with Todd, we talked about so many local newspapers and publications folding up, uh, you know, um, organizations really struggling with pricing models and do we give, you know, content away for free and gated and, you know, how much of what you're building out is really kind of forward future proofing um, kind of a, a fairly and not necessarily from HBR perspective, but just the publishing industry as a whole right now, kind of in a very uh, precarious time. Right. Um... So I think a big focus, sorry, you broke up a little bit there, but so I feel one of the ways we're addressing the challenges and the questions around a paywall is through piano. Piano is going to provide us with the flexibility to, to modify our paywall based on who the user is. So when we get to the point where we're walking or, or, jogging um, with piano we're going to have that capability i mean that's, that's a big promise so that is going to help us you know definitely uh better manage the, the paywall um with that you know as i think about the targeting it's going to be how can we more effectively understand our user base and their likelihood to convert initially and their likelihood to um, renew versus a trite so that we can build in, you know, build up the targeting capabilities to be able to build that into um, how we manage the paywall. Again, that's, that's something in the future. Um, also, um, there's a focus for us on um, communities. How can we build out communities, whether it's singular or plural within our subscriber base, um, that helps to drive stronger engagement. Um, and so, you know, we have initiatives, I'm not specifically involved in any of those, but there are initiatives within the company to help um, build those out in the, in the next year. Got it. What, what advice would you have? And I guess either specifically for people that are in similar roles within within maybe a publishing or a content organization, or, or maybe a better question is, um, one of the things that I'm seeing a lot in the market right now is um, people getting into roles where they're being asked to show the value of previously made um, decisions, meaning, you know, companies have spent a lot on technology. We have a lot of solutions. And at one point in time, I think it was just okay. And it was, it was accepted to say, we have these in place so we can check the box. Um, and it's, I don't think it's in, no, it's no longer okay to kind of take that stance and companies are really looking for, well, what value are these solutions providing? And I think you've done a, a fantastic job in, in helping align not just the technologies and building a really uh, solid ecosystem, but what, you know, we can now unlock with that. What, what advice would you have for someone in that position where they're being asked to say, you know, how can we start to show value with, with this investment that we've made in technology? Right, right. Well, I'll tell you an approach that we took. Um, it's, we started last year, and it, I think we'll definitely go forward with, and that's developing a data strategy um, re that relates to what we've built. And um, this was something that last year my, my boss asked for us to develop, and I was so pleased when she did because, you know, it, it took some thought um, and some iteration, but 
the the end the resulting product was that it was something that it was a document that we could refer to that directly related to the value that we were going to get out of this solution and not all of it is you know is quantifiable there can't necessarily be a kpi related to it and then secondly it definitely put guardrails on around the type of support that my team and others um, they, they could, we could leverage this when we were getting requests from a variety of stakeholders to make sure that we were continuing to, to fall within the, the um, parameters and the guidelines of that data strategy. So for us last year, the, the key components were around marketing efficiency and effectiveness. So obviously we wanna keep the campaigns flowing. They need to keep driving the kind of results are better than they had in the past. We knew we had, we needed to use our new system, our data system to support our ad sales group. Um, you know, they're out selling ads, they're out selling analytic service product. We needed to make sure that we could clearly and effectively identify um, groups of cohorts within our audience that had like specifically, are they CEOs? Yes, we have that, people self-report that. But what about topic interests? Are there ways for us to expand our audience of who's interested in technology besides people who sign up for the technology newsletter? So it was doing that kind of thing. Um, the next uh, facet was um, our audience identification and personalization. Huge nut to crack. But in this data strategy, we were able to set certain goals that would, again, relate to the crawl walk aspect of it so that we had specific things we could focus on, which related to, and again, this is where Jim was huge in helping us, how can we get web behavior from analytics over into campaign? Um, and we were able to make that happen, and now we are running with that. So it, it, that was a technique. Um, personalization, you know, what, is, what needs to happen to, in order to start personalizing our newsletters? And even though we bought an Adobe, you know, a fully connected Adobe product, we found that there are definitely challenges with that, and we're still we're still um, working through our MVP on that. And then finally, um, the fourth pillar was really about segmentation, um, targets for new verticals. How can we use this new eco ecosystem to identify potential audiences for new products to be developed? Um, you know, new targets for our ad sales. So having those four pillars last year, I think really, and then being able to measure against that measure quantitatively, but also qualitatively, I think helped us be able to demonstrate the value we got in year one. Yeah, and, that's, and then, that's, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, and then this year we have, we'll have, you know, we have the data strategy for year two. It's less detailed than last year, but it has, you know, again, key, key aspects that move us along that crawl, walk, run line. Yeah, that's fantastic. So how are you coming up with that? Is that kind of a collaborative effort with multiple stakeholders within the, the organization? Uh, is there someone that's taking more of a leadership role, setting down kind of that strategy, and then everyone kind of aligns with that? I'm interested in kind of the internal structure of how that gets put in place. Yeah, so the way, again, last year was our first year um, with it. So what happened last year is um, actually when, when Sarah, my boss, um, asked or suggested that we do this, I drafted the document. And, you know, she and I had some back and forth um, to make sure that we felt it was reflective of all the things we knew. Obviously, she's coming in from a top down perspective. She knows what she wants 
us to address. I was coming in from the bottom up what I felt we could do. Um, so we got that aligned and then I shared it with the key stakeholders across the company um, and you know, basically got the buy-in for that. Um, and again, it was a business unit goal. So it was important um, that we we did have that buy-in. But as we were developing it, it wasn't like it was off base from all the things we'd heard when we were making the decision to go right. with, with the with ACS in the first place. Um, Got so. it. Uh, so, and and maybe you maybe you've already mentioned it, but I'm going to ask the question again. Um, so now that you have this really solid connected system, and you know, we'll just we'll just talk about you know the analytics or the Adobe space where you have your digital behavioral data through analytics, you can do personalization and testing through target, and then you have your campaign uh, management through campaign, and then you have other systems built into that. Um, you've mentioned things like being able to get um, the right content in front of people, better understand your consumers, maybe ideation around products. You also mentioned things around being able to uh, be more reactive from a trigger standpoint to react to certain scenarios to get things in front of uh, your, your readers. But, and maybe it's one of those things or a combination of those things. My question is, what are you most excited about in the next 12 months? You know, now that you've really put a tremendous amount of work into getting the system into the state it is, what is it going to enable that you're most excited about over the next year? Um, a couple things. So one is I want to make sure that we further develop our audience um, segmentation and targeting capabilities. And again, this is an area that Jim's working with us on um, because today we're able to bring data into Adobe and there's a bit of a lag. Um, we're using one aspect, but there's new capabilities to, to actually bring it in and trigger um, email. Similarly, um, we, I want to be able to go the reverse. We're developing scoring algorithms in campaigns, such as something as basic as RFM for product purchase. I want to get that back out into the environment so we can use that for targeting on the site. So I think it's it's really about continuing to expand our targeting capabilities and uh, make sure that my team and the team responsible for targeting on the site that we're like we're moving to optimize in every area possible and, and there's still work to be done there um, but we are starting to you know have conversations with the two groups about this so i think there's that opportunity the second is um we have a big challenge in that we just keep sending out or the past couple of years sending out more and more emails like we want our newsletter base to go up but what we found is that we're continuing um to layer on the commercial emails with declining open rates and click rates so we've uh, we've done a number of analytics to make the point that this needs to change and we have a task force in place now across different stakeholder stakeholders and we come together and on a monthly basis and talk about the different strategies we're putting in place to try to change the direction of that so reduce the volume that in which we're hitting people but keep maintain or improve the productivity um so i'm i'm I feel we have the we have the foundation in place now and we have the buy-in so that we are going to be able to move the, the needle this year which is something we've been talking about for four years and just have never been able to to move it because we didn't have the tools or the the metrics um and then the, the next thing is just the whole piano implementation is exciting and i'm i'm excited to see how what we've built in adobe can sync with it and and just make it all that much more powerful because again i feel some of the things piano was talking about and i see articles about targeting um i think it's one of those things it's 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 nice to talk about it but we really got to get it to work
Yeah. And and I, I think it's going to take some time, but I know we can get there. So it sounds like you've prepared the field, you've sown the seeds, you've watered, you've weeded, and it's you can see harvest season coming up, and it's exciting that you're going to really start to uh, – see some of the fruits of the labors that have been over the yeah, past three, four years. It's a, it's a commitment. And I, I think it's, it's definitely an exciting time to be able to see the output and not that there hasn't been, I think um, some low hanging fruit along the way, but it sounds like you're at a point where it's a really pivotal point where you're really going to ramp up the, the value that uh, the decisions that have been made. Um, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah, well, I'm just going to say to that, and we have stakeholders in place now who really, they understand how to use what we've put in place, and that's exciting too. So it's it's nice when you have partners who want to use what's here, so it's not just about us selling what's here. Yeah. It's, it's really about that partnership, which which is awesome. It is. So many you people want to be in your shoes. Because <laughs> when you don't have it, and I've been there many times, it's very challenging. It is. It is. That's. Uh, I'm glad. That's. That's awesome to hear. Okay. So my last question is, uh, what what uh, lessons did you learn climbing mountains that you're applying to the business world? <laughs> <laughs> I climbed one mountain, Jason. Hey, come on. Very proud of it. That's um, awesome. But... <laughs> and I know there's a lesson in there, and you, and I know you've been like, you know, meditating on it. So I want you to share what you learned that you're you're going to apply. Well, I probably should have prepared more than I did, but I think there, you always need preparation before a big challenge. And whether that pre preparation is conscious or comes out of struggle, you need to have that preparation. Um, so I think in, in the case of this, this change we made um, with the digital ecosystem, I think it came out of pain. You know, it came out of a couple of years of just not being able to get what we needed and having to say, no, it doesn't work, having just just all the challenges with that the prior system. Um, so definitely the preparation. And then I think the other aspect is that, you know, you're going to get to a point with, with most mountains, you know, it might be easy going initially, like establishing requirements or whatever, but there's going to come this challenging um, incline where you're, scr I think the, the term in hiking is scrambling. So you're kind of on all fours going over the rocks where that happens. And we certainly had that in the development process. I think most, most do. Um, but once you get over that and you get to the summit, it feels awesome. Um, I so, love it. I, don't know I love it. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Um, well, this has been a fantastic conversation. And I think, um, you know, you have shared so much and you have so much to share from from your experience and uh, things that you've been able to build. I, I, I'm confident that our, our listeners are going to walk away with several really uh, strong nuggets of, of information to to go back and use in in what they're building. So I, I am I'm super happy you join us. It's an honor to have you here. Jim, I don't know if you have I kind of dominated the conversation. I don't know if you have any last thoughts, but I thought this was a, a fantastic conversation. No, it, it, it was wonderful to, to listen to. So, so so don't worry about that. In fact, like you both had so much great stuff to say. I'm like, you know, I'm going to sit back and not ruin this. <laughs> um, now, uh, but yeah, Carrie, again, just to echo Jason's thoughts, it, it was great to, to have you on. Definitely appreciate you taking the time to, to join us. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to, to, to sharing this with everyone. I think there's there's a lot of good information here. Great. Well, thank you. It was, it was such a pleasure to do this and I, I appreciate being asked. So thank you.
Cool. Right. I guess we'll uh, we'll talk with y'all later. Yep. Okay. Catch right. everybody later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.